Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. Developing a, a stronger and a more positive Appalachian identity and how that can, uh, you know, show people that it's okay to, to want to stay here and make a life here. And I think increasing that message for students and helping them understand all of the wonderful things that have happened here historically can really go a long way to help kind of revitalize these communities. And Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in Eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachian Meets World, we're back another week. It's Will. And Neil, what up, bro? Hey, what's going on? Trying to stay warm, really. I mean, probably be normal for you, but I thought it was spring a couple weeks ago, but not really, not yet. Yeah. Got a little cold spell. How about the storms? You get hit. Uh, you got hit with some storms down your way, huh? Very windy. Glad I wasn't outside on my trampoline because it went flying. Got some uh, folks around me that are still still no power, but fortunately, I never lost it. Wow, they're still without power. Yeah, there's a lot of people in Kentucky actually that still don't have power. So hopefully by the by this weekend, you know, everybody will be restored. But they're still working on it. I wanted to see. If you knew this week, it was National Cereal Day. You know I'm a big fan of cereal. Did you see that happen this oh week? Oh, my God. How'd you celebrate? Like eating a bowl of every kind? <laughs> I ate a bowl for every meal. I ate a bowl for every meal. I believe it. It's the best day of the year, March 7th. Every year, National Cereal Day. I wanted to ask you, because of that, in honor of that, what is your favorite go-to cereal? Do you have one? Oh yeah, no question. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Nice. And, I knew uh, that. I knew that from growing up. You always have loved Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Well, I was just thinking about growing up and how many memories I had of you late at night, just sitting there eating cereal with it, like in your jaws. It seemed like for hours, like a little chipmunk <laughs> over there, just killing cereal. It's, I bet you still do that, don't you? I do. It's the best food source <laughs> on earth. And and when you get done with the cereal, the milk cereal, it's even better. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, What's I will say go-to? growing up, my favorite was Frosted Flakes, but not if they got soggy. If they got soggy, they were not good. It's the crunchy Frosted Flakes in a fresh, cold bowl of milk. Uh, that was my go-to growing yep. up. Now, Honey Bunches of Oats is my go-to, which is pretty much Frosted Flakes with some granola thrown in there. And then, I don't know if you ever heard of Puffins, but Puffins has this peanut butter cereal. Uh, it tastes pretty much like Captain Crunch. 
Those are my two go-tos now. Uh, I had a couple friends in college we called Puffins. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's a little uh, bit different. I know. I uh, appreciate you reminding me of Serial Day. Uh, but what what else you got for me on in the line of app news this week? Yeah, I do have a couple of little app news items. I'm not going to go all out this week. Uh, we got a really good show. We're going to get right into that. But just a couple of items. You know, we mentioned the storms. We don't for, want to forget the floods of Kentucky. You know, we mentioned those almost periodically since it's happened almost on every other episode, you know, the importance of the rebuild and, and to not forget what happened over there. Once the cameras are gone, people are still rebuilding and trying to rebuild their homes, rebuild their lives. So we don't want to forget about them, but I just want to mention a little piece of news in regards to that. There was a bill in Kentucky that just passed the house that is giving the General Assembly power over the Teen Kentucky Relief Funds. Apparently, there were a few checks that went out to people that didn't actually have any damage from the floods, but they still got some funds. And so now the House, it passed in the House, but the um, the Assembly is trying to get power over the funds. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I'm kind of indifferent about that myself. I can I can think of a lot of reasons why it's bad. Yeah, I can too, especially when they get control of the funds. And when they get control, the funds don't actually go to helping those in need, and it goes to other general concerns. Yeah, to hear more about that, I hope you'll yeah. I hope you'll stay on top of that for us. Yeah, we'll see how that goes going forward. You know, like like we've said, it's really important to stay. Not only on top of that, but, you know, on top of what's going on in eastern Kentucky, you know, there's been other floods elsewhere since then. But it was just so impactful to the lives and the people in eastern Kentucky. We don't want to forget about them during this time. The other little piece of app news I have. So there were some senators from Appalachia states that requested a federal study of whether black lung benefits are adequate. One of those senators was Senator Mark Warner. So now the Government Accountability Office or the GAO is conducting a study based on this request in regards to black lung benefits. I think it's an excellent idea. I think it's an excellent request. I did read through reading that article that since 1968, there have been 76,000 minors killed by black lung and the people that are on disability are only receiving seven even total disability are only receiving seven hundred and thirty eight dollars a month wow yeah and you know when they were working in the mines they received way more than that so you know they are disabled because of black lung black lung has been an issue for a long time especially in central appalachia and so I applaud the senators for asking for this request, and we'll see what the GAO comes up with. Yeah, that's uh, one to keep your eye on, too. Uh, yeah, we'll give some updates. One other thing I wanted to mention, this is not really app news, but we did mention National Serial Day happened this week. The other thing that happened this week is International Women's Day, March the 8th, happened this week. Eight. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, International Women's Day, March 8th, all, also the day of our uncle's birthday. Oh, shout out to Mayor Maiden. <laughs> Very true. Very. This week. I actually think it's also uh, our sister's, our sister's anniversary. anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a lot I of things happened on March 8th. 
So yeah, I forgot about those two pieces of app news. So we'll throw those in there as well. <laughs> Shout outs all gotta around. Be, they got to be important. Well, I wanted to mention International Women's Day. It's actually Women's History Month, but International Women's Day because we have two women on this episode from Ohio University that have really been working as we get into it, we'll, we'll explain, but over the last five years for the Appalachian Studies Association Annual Conference, it's in Athens, Ohio this year, Dr. Michelle Marone and Dr. Tiffany Arnold have been working nonstop over the last year especially, but really over the last five years to put on this conference that's going to take place for the first time in its 46-year history at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Yeah, these ladies represent Ohio University well, and I look forward to talking to them, learning more about what they've done to, to get ready. Yeah, definitely. The Appalachian Studies Association is an important association, obviously. It's been around since 1977, but important to not only the research, the scholarly aptitude of Appalachian studies throughout the region, but also the conference is a way for these researchers, these academics to get together, but also for the region as a whole. So we have those two individuals. We also have Dr. Ricardo Nazario. He's the current president of the association on the show. So we have a full house today. So just want to get into it, Neil? Yeah, let's do it. Well, I'm looking forward to it. On the episode today, we are talking all things Appalachian Studies, where we are joined today by Dr. Michelle Marone. She's professor for the Department of Social and Public Health at Ohio University with a PhD in, in environmental planning from the Ohio State. Her research interests include Appalachian rural environmental health, environmental justice and food safety, and has in, in the past spent some time at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. We also have a full house I didn't mention. We have Dr. Tiffany Arnold. She's an assistant professor of instruction in the College of Health Sciences at Ohio University in the Department of Interdisciplinary Health Studies. I want to point out she also takes part in the Appalachian Teaching Project through the ARC. And finally, we have Dr. Ricardo Nazario, the Inclusive Executive and Chief Diversity Officer at Western Carolina University, where he also received his PhD. And I want to point out that he is a proud Kentucky fan. Really, why we had them on, Dr. Marone is the conference chair of the Appalachian Studies, and uh, Dr. Arnold is the current program chair where the Appalachian Studies will be taking place at Ohio University next week, March 16th through the 19th. So thank you for being on the show. We really appreciate your time, and we want to talk about the conference and, and uh, let everyone know what's going on. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Wilt. 
like we do in all our podcasts, I want to ask you kind of a kickoff question, really important question, probably the most important question you'll answer today, or maybe even the whole conference. Neil and I, our family, we're big on tradition, as most Appalachians. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We usually have this big spread of appetizers, bigger than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? That was a question I was not expecting. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, no kidding. I, I mean, I can start. Yeah, at, we absolutely have a in our family a holiday dish that's something that's only on holidays, and that's homemade pierogies. And of course, those come from my family from Western Pennsylvania. They were, you know, immigrants from Czechoslovakia my mom's side. And nice. so we do that every year, just once a year, we do the homemade pierogies. The one we have only on holidays is corn pudding. My mom always made it. And um, just, I don't know why we don't have it any other time of year. <laughs> Not that hard to make, but yeah, we, we pretty much only have corn pudding around, around Christmas time. I don't know if, if a drink is uh, an appetizer, but it oh, could yeah. be, uh, you know, so in my family, uh, being of Puerto Rican descent, we do coquito, which is a well-known eggnog-like drink. Uh, it's way different than eggnog. It has more nog than egg in it. <laughs> so that, nice. that is something that we only do during the holidays. That is excellent. I've never heard of that. Coquito. I will Coconut check it out. Flavor. Well, now that we have that question out of the way, I really appreciate it. We wanted to have you on, like I mentioned before, to talk all things Appalachian Studies and the conference that is coming up. It's the 46th Annual Appalachian Studies Association Conference. It's titled Appalachia Fest from Surviving to Thriving. Much like we do on Appalachia Meets World it's all about celebrating the many successes that have renewed the region in more recent times. I, I wanted to ask you, before we get into the conference, we've had many guests on here from the Appalachian Studies uh, programs throughout the region, but I wanted to ask you, just can you let our listeners know just what is Appalachian Studies in your mind, and also what's the significance of the Appalachian Studies Association for the region? You know, talking about Appalachian Studies general as generally as a discipline, there's no way you can you can def, you can uh, distill it down to like a sentence or maybe even a paragraph because it encompasses so many different aspects and. One of the things that I've learned over the years being involved in this is that you need to let go of your preconceived notions about what academic and scholarly work is and expand from just, I'm going to collect some data and, you know, answer this research question to really looking at the impact that creativity and art and music and food, you know, has on the Appalachian culture and and understanding that and that's that just makes Appalachian studies such um, an amazing and wonderful field to to participate in as a researcher and and you know an enthusiast because it is so broad um, and then in terms of the Appalachian Studies Association I think I'll lob that over to Ricardo so he can maybe address the mission of the association. Thank you, Michelle. And I, I love what you said, because when we're, when we're talking about the, the program, we're talking about all aspects of the culture. 
and any academic discipline that really embraces, you know, the, what, what people do every day with what people think every day is more, is richer and fuller. And, and you see this at our conference when people, practitioners and scholars and researchers are all together exploring the same topics in the same space. And, and I think that that makes us very unique. As you mentioned, 46 years, so we're going back to the 1970s when people came together and saw the need for, to create a space for people to come together and explore what the discipline was going to look like, you know, how we were going to share our research, how we were going to speak uh, about the contemporary issues of the time in, in the region. And I think that what makes us very unique is that we have a region, a physical, political, cultural space called Appalachia. And we, we cannot avoid to not observe and think about and be part of what's happening in that space. You can't just write about the space because you're also living, living in the space and you're experiencing these things. Uh, so one is not detached from the other. So part of our goal as an association is to continue to make that happen, to, to ensure that scholars, practitioners, uh, the people that live in the region are engaged fully in not only uh, the intellectual conversations, but also in the practical application of what happens every day within the region. And I, and I really would like to ask Tiffany, too, to, to comment on the importance of Appalachian studies in education, because, you know, Ohio University, where the conference is going to be hosted, we are the oldest university in the Northwest Territory. We've been in existence since 1802, and we are in the Appalachian region of Ohio, and we've only had curriculum related to Appalachian studies in the past five years. And Tiffany has been leading that curriculum. And we both agree that it's really important. So Tiffany, what, you know, what's, what do you think about the importance of Appalachian studies? Being from Southeast Ohio, you know, we don't ever really get the message that being from here is something to be proud of or something that's important. And, you know, we're kind of taught that if you want to be successful, you need to leave. And I've done some research with my dissertation on developing a, a stronger and a more positive Appalachian identity and how that can, uh, you know, show people that it's okay to, to want to stay here and make a life here. And I think increasing that message for students and helping them understand all of the wonderful things that have happened here historically can really go a long way to help kind of revitalize these communities. And that's not, you know, the message that really comes across anywhere. And it, it really wasn't when I came to Ohio University as an undergraduate in 1997, there, there were no classes where I was represented. Ohio University was in Southeast Ohio, but they didn't feel like it was really acknowledged. So now I, I think we're doing a much better job in, in showing students from here and showing the students that come here from other places that it, there's more to this place that they need to kind of explore and learn about. Um, there's a, a really intense, you know, amazing history of this region that people need to learn about in order to appreciate, you know, who we are and what we are. So for me, um, having the certificate and having this conference here is sort of like a, a full circle moment, right? Where I come in and as an undergrad and not knowing a whole lot about anything about where I'm from. And now like, I feel like we're going to get to represent, you know, Southeast Ohio to, to the rest of, of the region. And it's really exciting. That's excellent. And answered one of my questions of why 
has it taken so long to to be at Ohio University? And I think that and that exactly answered my questions. But I did mention that you know it's the 46th year. This is the first year that it's at Ohio University, and I wanted to reiterate that. Uh, Dr. Nazario is the president of the Appalachian Studies Association, and that Dr. Marone and Dr. Arnold are the conference chair and the program chair. And they've been working on this conference, not even over the last year, but over the last five years because of COVID that happened in between. So it's been an incredible amount of work. And I wanted to dive right into the title of the conference, Appalachia Fest, From Surviving to Thriving. Can you talk a little bit about the title, how you came up with that and, and what it means and, and a little bit about that sweet logo that you have as well? Yeah, so let me start by addressing Appalachia Fest and then I'll, I'll Tiffany does a really great job on the subtitle there. So um, Athens, Ohio, where Ohio University is located, has a long tradition of having fests and, you know, it's just another word for party, more or less. And so in the, in, it happens in the fall, but most of our fests are in the spring. And they include fests that are named after streets and fests that are named after, you know, certain episodes or our activities or situations. Um, so connecting this conference to the place that we're having it. Um, it just was natural for us to add fest at the end of Appalachia. And then we uh, chose the subtitle because we want uh, the theme to be uh, positive. We want the conference to focus on positive aspects. Yeah, traditionally, you know, when people talk about this region, it's very deficit based and they don't you know, acknowledge, you know, what's happened in this region where we've, we've really been working to, to overcome a lot of the, um, you know, systemic and institutional things that have happened here that have, you know, caused a lot of, of not so positive things. So in going from surviving to thriving, we really wanted to focus on all of the wonderful things that are happening, especially, you know, in Athens that are are taking us to the next level and, you know, kind of putting us to that point where we're not just like trying to get by, but we're actually able to celebrate what we're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And, um, and the logo is actually um, really great collaboration. We have a local, um, a graphic designer named Nikki Mazaka who works with our an organization here called the Little Cities of Black Diamonds, and she um, worked on the logo um, along with Passionworks, who are one of our primary partners in the conference, and they kind of put their own spin on it. And you know, we really like the the use of the phoenix and kind of what that symbolizes in terms of you know, not necessarily a comeback, but just kind of the the, the symbolic nature of a phoenix. And that goes right in line with with our podcast we we've been interviewed before the first thing they ask they want to know about the challenges of appalachia and we always flip that script and we we want to first talk about the opportunities and the great things that are happening and always try to remain positive but like i said you guys have been working on this not only for for the last year but really for the last 5 years how much work has been involved in putting this all together how much time do you have <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's been a lot of work, but I think it's going to be all worth it next week. We're, we're so excited to see the reaction of people and we're up, we're, we're pushing 900 res registrants now. We're so excited to see the reaction of people that have never been here or maybe have been here under different circumstances. We've got a great team and Tiffany has really 
organized and, and created events and activities that are so uh, tied to this place and so tied to the theme of, you know, showing that we are a thriving region. We started five years ago and we were supposed to host in 2021, um, but then as we canceled, we had to cancel 2020, 2021, we went online, we did it virtual, and then WVU had already committed to 2022, so we we shifted 2023. So in some ways, the five years has been a lot of work, but if the conference, if, if something happens that the conference, like there's problems or whatever, you know, people are going to go five years, you worked on this and this is what you got. (laughs) (laughs) So let's keep it a secret about the (laughs) five year part. (laughs) Although I've been, been very loud about that. (laughs) Might have been a gift in some ways. I mean, I know it's been really stressful and kind of prolonged the whole thing, but it's allowed us to really um, add a lot of detail that I think we wouldn't have had the opportunity to think of you know, earlier that I, I was just going to, for me, kick it up a notch, right? Like make it even more special. So um, it has been a long process. Um, there are things that we have had the opportunity to kind of put in place that I think that if we had had a shorter time frame, wouldn't have been able to happen. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about the agenda or some of the highlights, key events, a little bit of extras? I know you're having a silent auction. People can go online and check that out. But do you want to talk a little bit about some of the extra things that you're having or focusing on? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with just um, talking about the opening ceremony a little bit. And then and Tiffany can pick up maybe on some of the other really awesome activities. Um, so we're having an opening ceremony, which is relatively new for ASA, that's Appalachian Studies Association. Up until last year's conference, there would be an annual banquet where we do awards and everybody would you know, sit down and eat. But starting last year, WVU implemented an opening ceremony and it was really awesome. So we decided to continue that and maybe start a tradition. So the opening ceremony is going to be Thursday, and it is going to not only have all the awards, the Appalachian Study Association Awards, but it's going to feature one of our partners, Passionworks. It's it's just going to be, I think, really phenomenal. And then after the opening ceremony, we have a local partner who is providing something extra special for us too. And I'll, I'll let Tiffany talk about that because she's made all the arrangements for this. Yeah, we were really excited to be able to work with uh, a local cider house and distillery, the West End Cider House and Distillery that's here in Athens. And they have created a special cocktail for us that's being released just for the for the conference called To the Hills. It's a, you know, features... Um, a gin that they have partnered with a local band called the Hill Spirits to create. And so the Hill Spirits are actually going to perform at our opening ceremonies. And then they're also going to perform at the Cider House that night. And so they're doing sort of a cocktail release party for us. And then we're going to have a steering committee meet and greet at the distillery, which is right across the street, which is kind of kind of unique to Athens. Other things we have going on, we have lots of concurrent sessions. We have an Appalachian Health and Wellness Expo on Friday. We have over 30 local organizations who focus on health-related, you know, activities that are coming and kind of not vending, but really, you know, exhibiting what they do, showcasing what they do. I think we're going to have the uh, College of Medicine mobile clinic for people to go in and tour and, and different things like that. And the in my opinion, the, the 30 organizations, it's, it's so diverse what people are going to see, you know, anywhere from, you know, 
Stewart's Opera House to Passion Works to Community Food Initiatives and our farmers market. It's going to be really impressive, I think. And then that evening, we are going to be having the last film in a, an ongoing film series that I've been hosting all year called From the Hills and Hollers. And we are screening the film Dark Waters. And we're going to have one of the attorneys that worked on that case come in and introduce the film. And that happened just down the road here, about 40 miles away, closer to Parkersburg, West Virginia. And so we wanted people to realize how close that was to, to Athens. Then Saturday... We have a fun run scheduled. If anybody wants to go out and get a little bit of exercise uh, in the middle of the conference, we have a, an author's plenary in the middle of the day that's featuring uh, Robert Geit, Carter Sickles, Leslie Marie Bauer, and Crystal Good talking about writing social justice and health. Region. We're really excited about that. And then Saturday night, we're going to have what we're calling Appalachia Fest, which is basically the celebration, like the the party atmosphere, we have the publisher's reception and newcomer's reception first. And then we're going to have three different events going on Saturday night that people can kind of pick from or jump in between that's in our uptown area. So we're really excited about that. Um, we have a meet and greet with our local roller derby team, the Appalachian Hellbetties. We have um, a Women of Appalachia spoken word event. And then we have a drag and burlesque show that's happening. So a lot of different things to attend. That's an incredible lineup. Plus, you can you can visit your local distillery and then get a good yeah. run in in the morning. Right. Yeah, like, right. Athens is a really cool college town. There's a lot going on in Athens, Ohio, that people don't realize. And I'm glad that you're immersing people that have never been to Athens, immersing them into the culture, into the atmosphere there. Yeah, and that is yeah. all you know, in between 300 presenters doing concurrent sessions. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't want to, I don't want to forget the actual part of the conference. Yeah. And speaking of that, you know, I, I did have a question that how has the conference grown? Uh, Dr. Nazario mentioned it started in the seventies. It started in 1977, but how has the conference grown and how important is it to not only the members and the scholars that are part of the so association, but to the region as a whole? Well, it, it has grown, you know, in terms of, numbers, it's hard to kind of gauge because of what COVID did for gathering and for the amount of people who participate in the conference. Tiffany, I, I thought you re remembered or remembering hearing that the Virginia Tech Conference was one of the largest in terms of the number of people. Is that your recollection? Yeah, that one, I think they had around a thousand, a thousand people participating. So I, I believe right. that was the biggest one on record. Um, we're, we're, approaching that. I'm not sure if we'll get all the way there, but um, I think that it's just every year the organizers just kind of add their own spin to it and, you know, do different things depending on what their focus is. You know, we, we, you know, we're focusing on health and wellness. And so that's why we have the health and wellness fair. And, you know, I think every location just kind of has its unique things to, to offer the conference. And so it kind of changes a little bit, which is nice. And, and I think the location too is also, uh, influences the amount of people who come. You know, Ohio, we are pretty centrally located to um, the Appalachian region. So it makes it, you know, easier for people from all over to travel here. I think location is really important too in, in that. But I also want to say when we did the virtual conference in 2021, you know, we, we were like, well, you know, we're probably not, not that many people are going to want to do this virtually. But we ended up having several hundred people participate in that conference. And I think to me, that's just evidence of how people in this association value the opportunity to get together to 
talk about what they're working on and to get ideas from others and, you know, to get support from, from people who are, are listening to the work that they're doing. So if you look at the numbers, that's the lowest number of people we've ever had at a conference, but we weren't, you know, even expecting that many on that right. format. And it was just, it worked out really, really nicely. And that's a really good point. And, and to a previous point that, that Dr. Arnold pointed out about, you know, helping people better understand the Appalachian region. I think I mentioned that we really started Appalachian Meets World to not only celebrate the region, but to get outside the region, to help people outside the region better understand the culture from the Appalachian perspective. Is that a focus of the Appalachian Studies Association and the conference to not only, you know, celebrate the region, talk about what you guys are doing within the region, but also to let people outside the region better understand the region as a whole. If I may, I, I think that that's one of, the, one, of, one of the outcomes of coming together under the common umbrella of Appalachian Studies Association. You know, we are an academic discipline, but at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, we're very much involved in the day-to-day -day of what's happening, how people are living their lives in the region, how policies, how decisions uh, in local government impact everyone's lives. So all of that, you know, comes out not only in our research, we publish a journal, we have speakers that present about the discipline, about the region all throughout, not only the region, but even what we call urban Appalachia, those centers right outside a place like Cincinnati, Ohio, that's one county removed from the region you know, a place like Lexington, Kentucky, again, one county removed from the region. These are large urban centers that, that also have uh, uh, populations that have migrated to those areas. Uh, we have large cities like Birmingham, Pittsburgh, Charleston, West Virginia. These are all, you know, uh, parts of Atlanta uh, of the county. You know, everything that surrounds the city of Atlanta is Appalachia, the Appalachian region. So, we're very much connected to large areas and populations. The core of our work as an association does speak to informing people about what's happening. You know, I think that the, the challenge for any organization is to get people interested in the topic, right? To make ourselves relevant in conversations when people are making decisions that impact the region, we need to also have a voice in those decisions, but also be able to speak in rebuttal or in agreement to some of the things that are said about the region. So we serve that purpose as well. Like you all have mentioned, there's a lot of amazing things going on in the region right now. The conference is really celebrating that. There's a lot of federal funds, state funds flowing into the region. How exciting is that for your universities, for your association, for the region in general? Well, I, you know, I, I can't really comment on any specific general funds, but for the association, I think we're still struggling with um, accessing funding that can uh, support the work that we do as an association. It's still difficult. And I don't mean that in a way that should detract from anything that the funds are being you know, targeted to because um, funding that is improving infrastructure, for example, you know, is absolutely critical to to the region and and especially local infrastructure like wastewater treatment plants and drinking water treatment plants and things like that. Uh, absolutely critical. 
But you know, from the association's perspective, we still struggle with accessing money to um, to keep operations running, and that makes the conference all the more important because it really is a very important source of the organization's funds, and to keep the organization running so that we can include a wide range of voices is something that we are really committed to doing. I'm glad you you really made that point because I think people, our listeners uh, can tell from this conversation of how important the association is to the universities, to the scholars, but also to the region and how focused you are on the region and helping to identify and celebrate all the great things that are going on. So the more support the association can get, the better. I wanted to allow you to let the listeners know where they can find out more in regards to the conference that's coming up next week. Uh, Where where can they go? What's the website? How can they become involved if they're not already participating in the conference? Um, So the the one-stop shop, so to speak, is is the Appalachian Studies Association website, which is all one word, AppalachianStudies.org. Right on the the homepage there, you know, more information about the conference. You know, the information for registration in the program is, you know, is there. But I also want to draw people's attention to our sponsors and partners that are scrolling along the bottom of the Appalachian Studies Association uh, conference webpage. Um, Our sponsors are people are people and organizations that have donated money to the conference and our partners are people and organizations that are donating their time, their expertise, maybe their space um, and then other resources. And no conference can um, be successful unless there is good sponsorship and collaboration with people outside of the conference organizing space. I also wanted to ask you, since it is in Athens, both of you all are professors there at Ohio University. For people that aren't familiar with Athens, aren't familiar with that specific area, what's your favorite thing to do in Athens and what's your favorite restaurant? Oh, my gosh. That's the hardest question, I think. (laughs) If you've never been to Athens, I always tell students like when you're a little kid and you think about going to college right and you're like having your brain like for movies or whatever like this is what college looks like then you come to Athens to me Ohio University looks like that picture you had in your brain right it like that's what we are and it's beautiful green spaces and you know we're so integrated with our uptown area um and all of the local businesses it's just like a, a seamless you know transition from the from campus into town, which is really fantastic for the community. And I would say that my favorite restaurant is probably Casa Nueva, which is like a a local food type place, um, sort of a a Mexican fusion. They, they make sure that they always have local ingredients on the menu and a seasonal, seasonal ingredients. So that would be my favorite. I don't know what Michelle thinks. Yeah, I like Casa too, but I also want to caution people that it is beautiful, but bring a good pair of walking shoes because you're going to be walking a hill. (laughs) There's, there's, you know, at some point you're going to be walking a hill to get up or down. You can cut through the main conference venue that has the only escalators in Southeast Ohio, by the way, there's four of them in there to take, or three of them to take you up from up the hill. 
But um, so wear sturdy walking shoes. You know, we don't care if you if you have a suit with sneakers or if you have a, a pair of shorts with fancy dress shoes, just make sure that it, they're sturdy. Um, and then to, to go on the favorite spot, I, I do. I do love Casa. Everybody loves Casa. It's you know, it's worker owned. It's you know, not only a great restaurant for food, but it's it's like a great restaurant for social conscious and raising awareness. But I also love the Village Bakery because I am just a sucker for really excellent baked goods. And not only do they have excellent baked goods, but they have a huge wine selection that you can purchase great wines. So it's just hard to pick. If you've ever been, you know, there's there's so many neat things to pick from. It's, it's kind of hard to narrow it down to one. I wanted, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions that we ask all our guests. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word Appalachia? For me, it's home. You know, I grew up in Southeast Ohio. I've lived in Southeast Ohio my whole life. My mom's family is from Pikeville, Kentucky and Grundy, Virginia, where, you know, both of my papas were coal miners. And um, so for me, it's just home because I've never I've never lived anywhere else. And, and I, I'm going to say complicated. It's not an easy place to describe. It's not an easy place to, you know, conduct research in. I mean, it complicated both in kind of a challenging and also a good way. And, you know, maybe that kind of leads to diversity as well. How I view uh, Appalachia as being just, you know, a, a really complicated in a bad and good way. Challenging, not bad, challenging in, in good way. Dynamic. I, I agree with what was said. It's so normalized for me that I don't I don't see it as any different than any other part. But yet that it is very unique. You know, being part of the Appalachian Leadership Institute, I agree with how dynamic it is because I'm I'm going through this program with individuals that are making fabulous things occur within Appalachia, and and we just need to amplify that. And I think that that's that the place is underappreciated because of its history, its complicated history, uh, but it has so much and it's giving so much to the rest of the country. So I would say underappreciated. I think that's pretty spot on. The last question that we also ask everyone, and, and I'll ask you all three, and um, Dr. Arnold, I'll ask you first, since you pretty much answered it in your last answer, but uh, we ground our podcast on place and perspective. Place is really important to Neil and I. Place is really important to Appalachia. It's like a character in and of itself. So we wanted to ask you, just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? Yeah, well, yeah, like I said, for me, home is, is Southeast Ohio. I live in Athens County now, but I'm from Morgan County originally. And um, it's the the people and the you know, we have a, a reputation for being a little bit, you know, mistrustful of outsiders sometimes. And, and I, at one point in my life was a little resentful of that characterization, but I'm starting to own it as I get older, right? It's, <laughs> I, I embrace that because there's reasons behind it, right? There's reasons that we are a little bit mistrustful and I, I get it. And I feel like I'm becoming that as I get older a little bit more. So for me, it's just, you know, being in Southeast Ohio, it's just, it feels comfortable. It feels warm. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but. Yeah, there's no right or wrong. That's perfect. Dr. Moreau. Yeah. So for me, home is where my people are. And so right now I feel a little homeless because both my daughters moved to California last year. It, it's kind of really, it's left me feeling a little homeless because I can't just drive to see them 
you know, in a, in a day. So it's more about people than place. Great. We, we've heard that a time or two as well. And, and Dr. Mm-hmm. Nazario. Yeah, I, I, I always think it's, it's not where you're from, it's where you're at. So right now I'm in Waynesville, North Carolina and in Silva, North Carolina. I, I'm having a great time here and I love the people here. I like to think that they love me back. Uh, <laughs> you know, you never know, you never know. But it is, it's a great place to be right here in, in North Carolina. Great answers. And and I want to thank you guys again for all the incredible work you're doing with the conference, but also just with Appalachian Studies in general, the work that you're doing at your own universities, the research, um, the work that you're doing throughout the region. We greatly appreciate it and greatly appreciate you taking the time. And I wanted to mention again, the conference is next week, March 16th through the 19th. Check out the website. And is there anything you all would like to add before, before we let you go? We're excited about next week. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much. And again, we appreciate the time. Thank you. Bye, all. Will, I'd just like to take a second to say how much I appreciate these folks and what they're doing with the Appalachian Studies Association. I wasn't able to participate in the interview, but really enjoyed uh, listening back to it and glad to be a part of uh, this episode, but wanted to make sure I I told them thank you so much for taking the time out uh, to come on our show. So kudos for what you're doing and uh, look forward to learning uh, more about everything that you've done in preparation of uh, uh, this year's event. Yeah, Dr. Marone, Dr. Arnold, and Dr. Nazario, we definitely appreciated their time. They're busy, obviously. The, the, the conference is next week, as we mentioned on the episode, March 16th through the 19th. You can check out their website, like we mentioned on the episode as well. But they do, as you heard, they have an incredible agenda for the conference. So you need to check that out if you can. And if you don't know about the association, if you don't know about Appalachian Studies in general, check out their website. We'll post it in the show notes and just see all the things that they do, uh, have been doing in the region for a long, long time. So we appreciate all the work that they're doing. Exciting episode to have to have them on to talk about the conference to talk about its significance, not only for, like I said, the academics and the scholars, but for the region as a whole. Yes, sir. I also wanted to mention that the music that you heard was from the Hill Spirits that was also mentioned in this episode. We just included them in, in this episode so you could hear a little bit of their sound. Will, do you want to go ahead and highlight at, at Biz of the Week for us? Yeah, definitely. I think you heard in the episode, we got a couple of at Bizes that we pulled from that. One of those is Passionworks. It was mentioned as a partner in the episode and Passionworks in Athens, Ohio. It started in 1998. It began as a collaborative community studio housed within a sheltered workshop where people with and without developmental differences made art together. Since then, it's really grown. It became a 501c3 nonprofit in 2018. It remains, as, as they describe on their website, a trailblazer in creating integrated settings where people 
investigate their own talents and interests while participating in community-based programming and creative employment opportunities. It's a very inclusive, diverse art programming and studio where they follow the aesthetic lead talents and interests of people with developmental differences and support collaborations to encourage vibrant and inclusive communities. So it's a really cool thing they have going on. We wanted to highlight them. You can find them at www.passionworks.org. So check them out. It's in Athens, Ohio. The other one is the restaurant that they pretty much all agreed on was a hot spot in Athens, Casa Nueva. I wanted to highlight them and mention that it started back in 1985. A group of eight unemployed restaurant workers decided to form a worker-owned cooperative. And that's the cool thing about this restaurant. It's worker-owned. At the time, they got some help from the Appalachian Center for Economic Networks. Then it was called the Worker-Owned Network to help them establish this worker-owned restaurant. And it's been a thriving, really, restaurant ever ever since, having expanded in 1983 to have a bar. And then in 2003, they doubled their size. And it's been really, like I said, a thriving restaurant ever, ever since. I've never been there, but you heard the accolades given by Dr. Marone and Dr. Arnold about how great this place is. They use fresh products from the area, from the region, sustainable Mexican-inspired food for the community for the last 30 years. So we definitely want to give them a shout out. Their website is www.casa. N-U-E-V-A.com. So that's Casanueva.com. Yeah, sounds like any of our listeners that are in that area or through Athens, make sure you uh, make a stop. The last one was mentioned on the show as also a partner at the conference, the West End Cider House and Distillery. Um, the Cider House actually started back in 2013. They opened their doors in 2014 after renovation to the historic West End Tavern, but I really wanted to focus on the distillery. The distillery grew out of the Cider House, but it recently opened in 2018, just across the street from the Cider House after another renovation of that area. It's been an incredibly successful Cider House and distillery over this time period. Uh, They had some award-winning spirits. They make brandy, they make bourbon, they make gin, and they make vodka. So we definitely want to highlight them. I know they mentioned on the episode that they're going to have a special cocktail for the conference and launch that at the opening on Thursday night. So if you're in that area, definitely check them out. And if you want to check them out online, it's www.athenswestend.com. All sound like great spots to uh, be a part of, Will. And pretty cool that they're all going to be part of this conference. So if you're in the area, if you're at the conference, definitely check them out. It was an excellent episode to support the association, to talk about the conference, to talk about the amazing things that are going to happen. We hope (coughs) our listeners appreciated it, appreciate what the association does and can support them in any way in the future as it's important to not only, like we said, universities throughout the region, but the region as a whole. Yeah, for sure. I guess that being said, I guess we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Here I go now in this steeple town.